This is our People podcast, telling the stories behind South Tyneside and Sunderland NHS Foundation Trust. Hello, I'm Fiona Thompson. I'm a communications officer with the Trust um, and welcome to this episode of our podcast, uh, which is going to look at the work our Trust does when it runs our own medical research studies and how we get involved to help other trials uh, discover new ways to treat our patients. Uh, I'm joined by Claire Livingston, who is our Head of Research. Hello, Claire. Hi. Um, would you mind starting us off by explaining your journey into your role and what it involves? Yes, of course. Um, so I am the Head of Research across South Tyneside and Sunderland, um, and I've worked in research in the NHS for about 20 years now, so many moons ago. started as a research assistant on a specific trial that looked at imaging for um, breast cancer that was funded by the European Commission and as with all research grants it was two years and at the end of that you have to find another job. So when that role came to an end um, I moved into more of the sort of approval and governance side of research and then eventually into the more of the management of the service. Um, So yeah responsible for the operational and strategic direction of the research service across the trust. Um, And what's the team made of above what kind of roles does it involve and bring together okay so yeah it's a relatively large team there's about 40 of us within the team um there are two parts to the team so we've got a governance side of the team who take care of the approvals and setup process that's quite a small part um there's around five or six staff within that part of the team and then the larger part of the team is the delivery staff So that's made up of research nurses, clinical trials officers, data managers, and they are the people who deliver and recruit patients and, um, yeah. And so the part that medical trials play for us, how are they important and how are they also important to our patients? Um, So without research, healthcare professionals wouldn't know what works and what doesn't work. So research enables us to discover new treatments and um, breakthroughs in diagnosis and improves patient care and the quality of patient care informs future healthcare. And so that just means that we're always progressing, always moving forward, always finding new ways to do different things. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, And so funds are made available to us when we take part in these trials. Where does that money come from and how does it get used? Okay, so we are a partner organisation of something called the National Institute for Health Research. So that's made up of a number of clinical research networks up and down the country, and we are a partner organisation of the North East and North Cumbria network. And we get approximately £1.5 million from them every year to deliver research. So that pays for our the vast majority of our research workforce. It pays for our support department. So a lot of trials involve pharmacy or radiology or pathology. So that funding funds some of their time as well. Um, so that's where the money comes from. As well as that funding, we also get funding from grants so if we're going to do a grant-led trial we might apply for money from Cancer Research UK or the British Heart Foundation or you know any number of charities or grant funding bodies and we also get income from commercial income so if we're taking part in a pharmaceutically led um, sponsored trial that will also generate income. And so does that money basically go into funding our staff into our into our expertise? It Where does, does it, yeah. yeah. It's reinvested into the service so we're a team that has um, we've grown quite rapidly over the past few years and that 
has needed that investment to enable us to do that. Because when you talk about these different rules, you know, th- these are, well, you might have lots of um, people sitting behind desks and doing admin rules. You've got people out and about actually on our wards and in our departments doing things. What kind of jobs are we talking about there? So we have research nurses, um, obviously registered nurses by background, but we also have non-registered roles. So we've got clinical trials officers, um, data managers. Recently, there's a big push on non-clinical roles in research. So the um, the NIHR have led something called the Research Assistant Practitioner Pathway. And we've got staff who are coming through that. So we've got a couple of those new roles and they're non-clinical by background, but they do deliver, you know, they work clinically. Um, we've got a research midwives, but there are staff dotted all over the organisation. So for all within our team, it's the core research team. There are lots of staff out there in ICCU, in urology, in cancer, in haematology, in stroke, all over, dotted around, who also have research as part of their day job. So they do a job and then this is kind of almost a a little add-on for them? Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, research is NHS core business, so I don't really like to think of it as it's an add-on. It's kind of, it's incorporated into their role and rightly so, you know, it it, it should be. Great, fantastic. Um, And when we are setting up a trial, what goes into that? Um, So if we're setting one up, how does it how where does it begin and how does that progress okay so there are two ways in which we would be involved in a trial so in the vast majority of cases we will be a site for a study that's already set up and running and led from somewhere else so that could be a trial that's run out of oxford university or cancer research uk if that's the case we will either be invited to take part or we would express interest in that trial and we would be selected so you go through a site selection process um, the trial would be set up within a certain time frame so the governance team have got a 40-day window from when they get information regard that trial to when we are expected to say yes we can do the study so that's what we do in the vast majority of cases we deliver other people's trials On a smaller scale, we've got a sponsored research portfolio of around 15, 16 studies, which are trials that are led from South Tyneside and Sunderland. So the chief investigator, who was the person who was solely responsible for the the design and the delivery of that trial, is based in South Tyneside and Sunderland. They are a member of our team, member of our staff. They've applied for a grant or either via a charity or an industry funder, and they have developed that protocol, and we then deliver that protocol within South Tyneside and Sunderland but we also then seek sites across the country so we've got a small portfolio of multi-centre-led trials that we will have sites all over the country and we'll coordinate that from here. So do you have a couple of examples of um, trials that we have helped start and that we've got underway? Yes so we've got a big trial called well we're part of a big collaboration called the Colo Speed collaboration which we are involved with Newcastle University um, it's led by Professor Colin Reese, who's a gastroenterologist here, but also a professor of gastroenterology at Newcastle University. And there are several trials as part of that Colo Speed work. So we're involved in a trial called Colo Cohort, which is looking for risk factors for colorectal cancer. Um, we've got several sites up and down the country. I think we're in the 20, 24, 25 sites up and down the country. Some regionally, Northumbria, County Durham and Darlington, but also some much further afield. So as far down as, you know, the South Coast and... Um, I think we've even got sites in Scotland for that one. Likewise, we've got a trial called Colo Detect, which again is um, a gastro study looking at the use of artificial intelligence. Um, 
and that's got about eight sites up and down the country and that's coordinated from here so we have research fellows who are um consultants doctors who are coming out of program um for a, a time period to lead a research project and then they go back into program and finish off their medical training so that the trials that we do that are multi-center are always coordinated via a fellow and is it kind of run like projects or is there a process you always go through to kind of follow them through is it a set process or do you does it is everything kind of tailored to each individual study there is a set process so it's very um research is quite a um regimented yeah it's very regimented it's quite bureaucratic and it's very well regulated and rightly so it has to be so if you want to do research you have to have something called research ethics committee approval and you also have to have health research authority approval if it's a drug trial you have to have medicines for health regulatory authority approval various other approvals from various bodies depending on what information you might use or if it involves devices that's another level of um, approval that you may need to get so Every trial will have those approvals before we take part or if we're leading that trial we would ensure all those approvals are in place before we allow that trial to start. I suppose leading on from that as well, if a trial it goes through an approval process but then it also, before we get started there are, you know, there are other things we have to do so we have to have a site initiation visit with the trial team, they'll come on site, they'll train our staff, they'll make sure that we have a delegated, um, like a delegation form, which identifies who's allowed to do what as part of that trial. Um, so yeah, it's quite a regulated process. Very good. Um, and when we are asking patients to take part in these studies, how do they react when they're asked, and what kind of what kind of process do they go through? Because I'm sure we're with them every step of the way. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So um, if a patient's eligible to take part in a trial. They'll be approached by a member of their clinical team so that might be their consultant or they may be approached via the research nurse if they're interested to take part then they'll be given a patient information sheet so that is being fully approved by all the right regulatory bodies it outlines what the trial involves um, and what it involves for them if they decide to take part so in the vast majority of cases you have to give everybody at least 24 hours to consider taking part in a study so they've got time to go away and discuss it with their family members or ring their doctor and ask it you know get people's opinions on what they think they should do if they decide to take part then they go through a process of informed consent so they will sit with either depending on the trial they would sit with the clinical um with their clinical team and they would go through every aspect of the consent form make sure that they understand it, that any questions are answered fully. And it's not until we've gone through that process of informed consent would they be eligible to take part. Because I imagine there's, there's kind of two streams, isn't there? There's, there's long-term conditions that people have or a, a situation that has, has been diagnosed, but I guess there's certain situations that are quite urgent. So... Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So we've got a number of trials where you may come into hospital, we might see you once. So you might come in for an endoscopy one day, sign a consent form, and you might have a phone call a few weeks later, and that's your involvement over. There are also studies whereby you may be in ICCU and you may not be able to consent for yourself. And in that case, there's a best interest decision made and, you know, the clinicians would speak to members of your family. And there are also cases whereby you might sign up for a trial, say in oncology, and you may be in that trial for five to ten years. So we've got some cardiology studies whereby people are followed for five years. We've got cancer studies, people are followed for up to ten so every trial's different in what that involvement is. So it's a big decision for patients to make. You, you know, if you're signing yourself up for something for the next 10 years, 
we need to know that people understand what they're expect what's expected of them and i imagine we support them through that process and, and take on board their feedback as part oh, of it. yes of course i think you know i'm completely biased but i do think patients welcome opportunities to take part in research they feel as if they're giving something back they feel as if they get that extra attention from they're getting over and above what they would get as part of standard care so yeah i think it's definitely worthwhile um and we are a relatively young trust in the scheme of things so uh we came into being in 2019 when city hospital sunland merged with south tyneside nhs foundation trust um and i know that you've told us that since then we've seen more than 10,000 patients through our studies which is a, a huge amount of people um how has the merger made a difference and how do you feel kind of overseeing it all that you've hit that milestone because it must just give you quite a good sense of satisfaction most definitely, yeah. Um, I was delighted when we reached 10,000 patients in a trial since merge. So it's a lot of people to recruit to trials. Um, and I do think that the merger was a real benefit to research. So the two separate organisations wouldn't have achieved what we have collectively. So both trusts have very different strengths and weaknesses and combining forces has just made us stronger, really. It's made us more resilient. Our population's bigger and therefore we attract more trials because often you know, a trial would depend on a certain number of births or a certain number of heart attacks or a certain number of patients. And, you know, individually, we might not have been able to do that. So it's made us um, open to more studies. It's We're a more attractive site for people now, especially for commercial trials, because commercial research is extremely competitive. Um, we run more complicated trials now. So we are setting up more advanced therapy type of trials, stem cells, gene therapies. And I think without that combined forces we would not have had the capacity to be able to do that because as part of that um we now as a, as a whole trust include sunland eye infirmary for example which is a real real hive of activity Diamond, when it comes to yeah. research doesn't it we've got some really interesting things going on which i'm sure we'll talk about at, uh, at some point um but as a, as a as a region we're also a really busy hub as well aren't we so um how do we play a part in that network Yes, so we're part of the North East and North Cumbria Research Network. It is a very active region for research. Um, delighted that in 21-22 South Tyneside were the second largest recruitment trust in the region behind Newcastle Hospitals. Down to the hard work of everybody across the organisation really, several teams, you know, you, you mentioned Sunland Eye Infirmary there, they're just going from strength to strength. Their commercial portfolio continues to grow. They're involved in gene therapy studies. They are leading their own research. They've got that very, you know, national footprint. Um, so yeah, you know, several teams have contributed to that success. Yeah, great. And um, what have these trials involved so far since, if we start from our merger, for example, in 2019, what kind of things have we been involved in that we might not have been before? Oh, wow. Um, so many trials we've been involved in. Like uh, I've made reference to the stem cell work that was part of um, ICC. You were really keen to do that study. It was a first for South Tyneside and Sunderland. It was a little bit scary. We'd never done a trial like that before. What did it look at? Um, it was called a realist trial and it was looking at respiratory... Oh, you're putting us on the spot now. <laughs> um, oh, acute respiratory distress syndrome, I think. Um, I'll probably have Which to follow that back up with you. Pre presumably being very key in the last couple of years. Of course, yeah. So yeah. this trial actually wasn't a COVID-specific trial, but it, 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 it was open to COVID patients. We, we recruited both COVID and non-COVID patients to that trial. So that was the first one that we've done. More recently, we're looking at setting up another stem cell study now in stroke 
um, and Sun and I Infirmary have been involved in their gene therapy work. I think COVID really brought research to the forefront. Um, a number of trials were part of that global effort and South Tyneside took South Tyneside and Sunderland, sorry, took part in those studies. So the recovery trial got a lot of media attention. Um, we took part in that and that was the trial that identified that dexamethasone was the first life-saving treatment for COVID. Um, remap, pa, re, remap cap, sorry, was a trial that ran in critical care and that identified that a seven-day course of hydrocortisone led to improved survival rates. And it also identified that two existent anti-inflammatory drugs that we currently use for arthritis could cut deaths by a quarter in the most seriously ill patients and reduce the average length of hospital stays. So those trials were, you know, they were at the forefront of the media attention. They changed the course of how COVID patients were managed and we were involved in those. And I think it, they identified, they also identified what didn't work. So there was arms that recruited in the recovery trial there were arms that recruited patients to something called convalescent plasma, so people who had had COVID before, and it was found that actually, no, that doesn't work. So it's it, it's important to find what doesn't doesn't work. And do we also kind of work quite closely with our neighbours as part of that network? Um, yeah, several. I think the North East and North Cumbria region, we work really, really closely. We've, I've got really good relationships with all of the R&D managers across the patch. Um, we really were quite good at sharing ideas with, throughout COVID, um, because there was vaccine studies ran in a couple of our local trusts, South Tyneside and Sunderland didn't get involved in those, but we offered our staff to help with those where needed. So yeah, it's a, we, we work quite regionally. Very good. And the pandemic has had a huge impact on all of our lives and how the NHS operated during that time. Um, what impact did it have on trials, but also did it also result in, in other developments as well? So for the research team, obviously, whilst COVID was out there, it was important that we um, got involved in COVID trials. So our energy were really redirected towards our COVID portfolio and our non-COVID portfolio. Sadly, you know, that, that did have to, to, to quieten a little bit. So the vast majority of our studies did close. Um, because we had to protect our patients and we had to protect our staff, we couldn't be bringing them in for visits that weren't, you know, weren't vital. They weren't part of um, they weren't what was really deemed essential at the yeah, time. Wasn't yeah, wasn't necessary. Um, so yeah, we we mapped all of our efforts to our COVID um, to our COVID trials, and some of those trials were paused for twelve to twenty four months. And closing and reopening a trial, and then reopening it, and going through all the training again, and making sure that everybody knows what they're doing. It's a it was a huge piece of work. Um, so yeah, th thankfully now, 99.9% .9 of trials have, have reopened again and everything's open and we're back pretty much back to normal. Um, but it made us work differently. It made research work differently. So research was very much around you come into hospital, you speak to your clinician, you sign your consent form. And for a long time, we couldn't do that. So we had to look at trials and the ones that remained open, how do we do them differently? Can we do consent remotely? And what does that mean for information governance? And how do we get information you know, from one place to another? And there was all kinds of things to consider. Um, and it has you know, undoubtedly made things better because if a patient doesn't really need to come into the hospital, then that's easier for them. We can do it over the phone or we can do it over teams or yeah, it's brought along lots of new ways of I working. I suppose it added a different layer to the patients as well because they had to do things differently and they might have been expecting to come in to speak to us face to face and that was put on hold and I guess that's another part of the support you had to offer patients, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, people were very anxious at the time. We yeah. didn't want to have to bring people in the hospital if we didn't need to, especially people who have got a long-term condition or, you know, a lot of our patients, if you think about our respiratory portfolio, they were shielding. A lot of people were shielding. So we didn't want to add any more burden or anxiety to those patients. So we worked with sponsors. To, sponsors are people who are responsible for the delivery of a trial. We worked with them to ensure that trials could be delivered as safely as possible. Great. Um, and you have already touched on it so far, but we played quite a big part in supporting some COVID research. Would you mind giving us a little bit more detail about that? Because uh, it was a really key piece of work, wasn't it? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. we were involved in several studies. So as I've mentioned, the recovery trial, um, Remap Cap, Realist. There, were, there was a huge data collection study called ISRIC. So that was every patient who was admitted with COVID. Where there was a huge data collection tool to fill in. And that was part of looking at kind of risk factors, you know, disease progression, those kinds of factors. Um, so it it feels like a, a total blur, really, when you think about how it, at the time in governance, I remember the number of, there were classed as urgent public health trials at the time that they were coming through and they had to be set up really quickly. And it was a huge amount of pressure for the team. You know, everything else was falling apart in the world and we had these trials that had to be set up really quickly and they were really complicated. and you know, it massively involved pharmacy and they were fantastic with how they managed the setup of all these new different arms and it would run across both sites, so it was really technical, but yeah, it was... What kind of things were they looking at? Sorry, What which? kind of... So the different trials were looking at, were they, were they looking at very similar things? Was it all drug-based or was it about... Mainly treatment trials, so mainly drug-based, so recovery had a number of different treatment options. Um, likewise, so did Remap Cap. Realist was the stem cell study, so that was looking at one specific, um, one specific treatment. But yeah, mainly all looking at treatments. I want kind of put you on the spot a little bit because when we're talking about stem cell studies, what does that actually involve and mean? Oh gosh, you probably need a scientist. I'm definitely not the right person to answer that question. But obviously, um, it's taking cells from one place and putting them into a patient. Right. Um. So it it's heavily the regulated. same patient. It requires not necessarily oh, right, okay. and it requires um involvement of a cellular therapies unit so we would work closely with the cellular therapies unit in newcastle they would be responsible for the preparation and storage and transportation of the cells to Sunderland. because it sounds like that they are involved in lots of different aspects of treating different conditions and um, potentially yes yeah. so obviously we've done it within COVID, and at the minute we're looking at it for um stroke Right. Um, and what is next for research? Uh, we're already involved in lots of studies involving artificial intelligence, as you mentioned, the Colo Detect, um, that involves AI. Um, what's the next? What is next for research, and what is the next focus for our trials going to be? Uh, yeah, it's a really exciting time for research. The team is expanding rapidly, um, and I would imagine that that will continue. We've recruited a record number of patients this year and opened the biggest number of trials that we've done in any year before. Um, so I think it, we will continue to see that complicated, more advanced therapy trial portfolio increase. Um, we're currently about halfway through delivery of our five-year research and innovation strategy, and we've got a number of strands that um, we're working. So um, Carly Brown, our one of the lead research nurses, is working on the nursing, midwifery, and allied health professional research programme. And that in soon to launch research internships. So that is giving 
some members have staffed the opportunity to work within the research team for a day a week for six months and that's either to get experience of research or to work up their own research ideas so that's quite an exciting thing that's about to launch um we've just had clinical trials day in may so we had the first face-to-face event at the education center scene um since covid so that was and that went really well i think we were able to demonstrate the breadth and range of research that's happening across the organization and the feedback from that was fantastic so plans for a bigger and better clinical trials day event next year so yeah exciting times and are we going to see anything like what's going to be the new form of research because you know you talk about stem cells and we've talked about ai and things what is that what's on the horizon for research overall? Is there something patients will start to see and be involved in? Oh gosh, I suppose it, it's really hard to predict and because we've got such a wide portfolio of studies, we see everything from complicated drug trials down to a qualitative study that needs five patients to do an interview. So it, it, it is difficult to predict, but we have seen over the years, the research portfolio always changes. So, you know, we used to see quite big number trials big you know large data collection type trials we don't see as many of those now um we tend to see smaller more individualized medicine type trials but yeah it's really hard to predict i would hate to i want a wide portfolio of everything so so we want to be involved in lots of different things to keep us that's right yeah well-rounded exactly yeah um and what do you personally enjoy about your role what what do you get your sense of satisfaction from oh wow um so I suppose it sounds really cliche, but I do honestly really, really enjoy my job. Um, I'm really proud of the team and what everyone has achieved, and I'm clearly biased, but I think it's a lovely team to be a part of. Um, and I would urge anyone who's interested or wants to know more information, then they're welcome to get in touch with the team, and I can bore them senseless for hours about research. <laughs> Lots of information to keep them This is true, yeah. with. keep them very busy. Um, because is it, is it quite a varied career? Can you, like, you start with one job and progress? You know, what kind of careers can are, are out there for people? Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, there's NHS research posts. There's also research posts in academia. Every NH- sorry, every university up and down the country will have a number of research posts. Um, so, obviously, we work closely with Sunderland University as well, and we're currently looking at a secondment opportunity for a member of staff to work with Sunderland Uni for two days of the week um, to work on a lung cancer evaluation project. And then So, they'll work partly with the trust and partly with the uni. So, lots of new opportunities. What kind of skills do you need to have as well to work in research? I imagine you have to be very thorough and reg- like regimented and very good at cataloguing things. Yeah, I think you do have to be quite an organised... Um, not messy sorry. like me. Um, not messy, no. <laughs> not messy. Uh, well, yeah, judging by my office, I don't, no, no, I don't win it's that ver- call. It's a very tidy office in my <laughs> eyes. Um, but do, do, you, do you need particular kind of an aptitude for a particular area? Like, do you need to be good at science or maths or... English like do you, or do you need to have like a do you need to be quite well rounded like what's is there something I like because a, a, there's that a many different roles in the team mm. it's hard to pinpoint you need one a bit of everything specific, from everybody yeah aha. so obviously if you're going to be a research nurse you need to be a registered nurse there's no getting past that mm. if you want to be a clinical trials officer they tend to come from more sciencey type of backgrounds um but like I mentioned earlier there are new posts research assistant practitioner posts that haven't got that reliance on a kind of clinical or science background. Um, and we've got other posts, data manager posts, that, that we've got people who've had degrees, who haven't ha- got degrees. Yeah, we're really, really varied and it would depend on the role, really. Yeah. And you would recommend it? Without a doubt, yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> Brilliant, that's, thank- that's great. Thank you very much, Claire. Thank you.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Our People Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and check out our other stories. Hit subscribe to keep up with the latest and catch up with what we've been up to on our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Just search for our name.